Today's scripture passage is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Amen. You may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this is our humble prayer today. Would you cause us to hear your word in truth? Would you cause us to receive your word in faith? And would you cause us to love you more, to love your world more, and to want to be more like you? Or these are simple words to say, but they require the work of your spirit. So spirit of the living God, would you come and be abundantly active as we gather around the word of the Lord today? Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We at Redeemer are working our way through the book of Exodus and where we are in the book of Exodus is God has 
come to his people, Israel, in slavery in Egypt, and he has delivered them. So God's delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. And now they are making their way through a desert wilderness, and they are learning to be, learning to live, learning to carry out their days as God's people. So the important realities here are Israel is already been declared by God to be his people. And now these commandments, which were just read for us, are intended to shape the people. So if you take anything out of our sermon this morning, here's what I want you to take. There is a creator God who is holy and just and righteous and merciful and unlike any other. And in the scripture, when people come into the presence of this God, one of two things happen. They come standing in their own sin and they're destroyed. Or they come standing in God's mercy and they are changed. So when we look at these Ten Commandments, God is saying to his people, this is what I am changing you into. This is the calling that I'm placing before you. I want you to look more and more and more like these Ten Commandments. More and more like the word and the will of the Lord. I want to work transformation in you. So what I want you to take out of this today is God transforms his people. And these Ten Commandments are a guidance and a gift and a grace to lead us toward the transformation that the Lord wants for us. So if you want to take notes this morning, the first point, life as God's people. This is our second sermon from these verses. So last week we looked at verses 1 through 11 together. Today we are primarily going to look at verses 12 through 21 together. But here's what we need to remember. The goal of these 10 commandments is holiness. Holiness is a good churchy word which simply means to be different from, to be unique. So when the the Bible says God is holy, that means God is unlike any other. He's unlike any portion of the creation. He's unlike any created being. He's unlike any other false God. He is uniquely the one true God. And then the scripture says, as we read earlier um, in our prayer time from 1 Peter chapter 1, that this holy God is making a holy people, which means the people of God through Jesus Christ are intended to be different and unique from the world at large. There's supposed to be a distinction because God's changing who we are. And so the passage begins by making very clear that God is God and we're his people. And and these commandments are not about trying to change that. Verse 2, I am the Lord, your God. I am the one who has been and is and always will be. And I am unchanging and I'm your God because I've made you my people. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. So God is speaking directly to his people 
so that they will learn to live the holy life that he desires for them. So let's not fall into any of the missteps where we might say, these 10 commandments are a way to earn God's love or to earn God's favor or to earn God's salvation. Because God's saying to the people, no, I'm already your God. I've already delivered you. And so our connection, as 1 Peter 1 shows us, to this story is through Christ. And so if we come in Christ, we're the people of God. He's delivered us. He's forgiven us. He's set his love upon us. We're his people. And these commandments would be a way to show us what it looks like to be transformed by him, to learn to walk in the holiness that he desires from his people. So there are 10 commandments. This is a very common, popular, well-known passage of Scripture. And so the challenge for us this morning is how do we attack this? And, and what we said last week is we're going to attack these 10 commandments with a breakdown that Jesus gives us. So in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked this question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus says you can take all the law, all the prophets, and you can boil them down to this simple category, or these two simple categories. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look closely at the Ten Commandments, the first four speak to God's people relating to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no idols for worshiping or serving. You shall not take God's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath pattern. Those four commandments are about relating to God. We spoke of those last week, and I would encourage you, if you weren't with us, to go back and listen to that, because I'm not going to touch on those at all today. This, this, the last six speak of God's people relating to others, father and mother and neighbor. And so this, this breakdown of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor yourself, it, it, it rightly also fits with these commandments. And so today we're going to look at the last six commandments which call God's people into holy interactions with the world. It's basically these six commandments are saying, let the way you relate to the world show that God is at work in you. Now, before we dive into the six commandments, I, I want to make one, um, just one observation that I hope helps us today. If we were to evaluate um, the history of the church if we were to evaluate the history of Christianity in America in the last 100 years, and frankly, if we were to evaluate the social media accounts of Christians right now, we'll see kind of two streams of tradition. One stream of tradition focuses primarily on the love the Lord your God portions of the law. There's a, there's a 
a, a bent and a stream that values the justice of God, the truth of God, the saving power of God, that's, that focuses strongly on personal relationship with God and spiritual disciplines to meet with God. And those are all good things. I'm, I'm, I'm for that. But there's another stream that, that seems to, to, to primarily focus on the love your neighbor portions of the law. God is love. His love is made known in the face of Jesus. Let's focus on love. Let's love others. And what I want to compel us all to hear today is I don't think we get to pick our streams because they're both gonna, they both are part of one river the river of what God desires for his world and for his people. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, are not the greatest two commandments, but is the greatest commandment. They work together. They are two sides of the same coin. So if I were to assess my decade-long ministry here at Redeemer, I would say the preponderance of the talk and the sermons and the teaching has been focused over here on love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm for that. I don't recant any of it. But when I pray about the next decade of Redeemer and the next decade of my life, I want there to be a balance a balance of focus on love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, because that's what the gospel does in us. It calls us to be holy as God is holy. And I just got to ask you, look in your own heart, look in your own mind, and, and just say, okay, in which way of these two directions am I prone to, to put all my focus I'm not asking you to give up your focus. I'm just saying, let's, let's, let's aim it all at what the Lord would want. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at these. So we're spending our time today on the last six commandments. So the second point, if you want to take notes, is holy interactions. Holy interactions. This is in verses 12 through 17. Now, I said we can put all this under kind of the umbrella of love your neighbor as yourself. If you'll notice, every one of these is about a relationship to people. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder other humans. Don't commit adultery with or against other humans. Don't steal from other humans. Don't bear false witness against other humans. Don't covet things that belong to other humans. So what's the common theme here? Others, others, others. And so a, a good summary biblical word for neighbor, I mean, excuse me, for others is neighbor. A biblical definition of neighbor would include anyone with whom we come into contact. So you don't just have one, two, or four neighbors based on what type of subdivision you live in. According to a biblical understanding, is anyone that we come into contact with is our neighbor. This is the point that Jesus makes in Luke chapter 10, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, you see someone in need, 
Be a kind neighbor. So the theme running through this is it is focused on our interactions with others. And I just want to push this. These six commandments seem to make very clear that the Lord is concerned how his people interact with others. And sometimes we as Christians can fall into the ditch of we know the truth, we believe the truth, destroy all the doubters. And I'm not sure that's the heartbeat of these words that are laid before us. Believe the truth, know the truth, be transformed by the truth, to love others because of the truth. So let's look at the commandments together. Fifth commandment, our first today, honor your father and mother. This is verse 12. By the way, this is, these are a handful of verses that really don't require any great linguistic skills in any other language than English. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land your Lord is giving you. That, that one feels a little like you have these commandments about relate to God, relate to God, relate to God, honor your father and mother. Like that just kind of feels like it just kind of sticks out there. What does that mean? To honor means to honor, to show respect, to show appreciation, to show love, and to, to show appropriate submission to your father and mother. And now we should note a few things here. It doesn't say children honor your father and mother. It says all y'all honor your father and mother. So this is not just a young child beginning of life ethic. It's an all of life ethic. It doesn't say, and I have, to, I have to be really honest, This, what I'm about to say cuts deep for me. It, it, it doesn't say, honor your father and mother when they act honorably. But it says, honor your father and mother. And I, like half of us, statistically, am a child of a broken home where a whole lot of bad stuff was said and done. And I have to wrestle with what does it look like to disagree with things that have been done and still show honor. And I don't have three great ways to resolve that except to say that the Lord wants me to figure out how in a broken world, in a relationship between two sinners, to honor my father and my mother. Finally, I think that this commandment is so prominent because our parents represent the first layer of authority in our lives. They are given by God 
from our birth to be our guide and our teacher and the one who points us in the right direction toward the Lord. And our response to human authority is very often a a lens into whether or not our hearts are soft toward authority. And we can't follow the Lord our God without yielding and submission and deferring to his authority. And so this honor your father and mother is a way to learn that authority done well is a gift from the Lord and learning to submit to authority is a key component of learning to navigate the world. Honor your father and mother. That your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. I believe that this promise of days long in the land is the idea that honor begets honor. And so, and honoring a father and mother shapes a generation that shapes a generation that shapes a generation that shapes a generation. And we want to see generation upon generation upon generation. Verse 6, love the Lord and keep his commandments. And so a key component of that is learning and cultivating the honor of father and mother. I think that the Lord has in mind a family reunion that's not a celebration of dysfunction. And we're all like, oh, I'd love to go to that one, right? I think the Lord has in mind a holiday visit where we don't, stare at our watch every 30 minutes to say, how much longer is this going to go? Perhaps the Lord has in mind a world where I don't have to hang in my kitchen a sign that says fish and visitors stink after three days. But I do. Let's believe that the Lord wants to help us honor him by learning to honor father and mother. And parents, those of us who feel dishonored by our kids, let's ponder where they're picking that up. And let's start by honoring our father and mother and shaping a culture that carries on. Sixth command, do not murder. Literally, this means do not murder. Some translations broaden it to kill. I think that's missing a little bit of the point. The point of this is do not take the life of another human through your own purposes. It's made clear very early in the scripture that it is the Lord who numbers our days. It's the Lord who sets our beginnings and it's the Lord who sets our endings. And by murdering, we are playing the role of God. We are killing image of God, which God has placed in humanity. And so the Lord says, let my people be as those who don't take life, but value life. Let my people be known as those who don't play the role of God, but submit to God in all of his roles. Seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. This is verse 14. 
This means do not commit sexual acts outside of the the bounds of marriage that dishonor marriage. He's saying see sexuality as a gift for marriage and value marriage and don't destroy it and don't pervert it by committing adultery. Let's be the people of God who value what God values and submit our desires to God's good ways. And ultimately, that's what's going on with a biblical sexual ethic. It's we're submitting our human desires to God's good ways. Eighth commandment, do not steal. This is verse 15. Literally taking something that is not our own without permission. It's God who gives possessions to all, Live with what you have. Don't be found taking from others what belongs to others. And in the context of Israel, God's going to give each tribe their land, their possessions. And the idea is don't take from others what God has given to others. Ninth command, don't bear false witness. Now notice, we're moving from actions, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Now we're moving to words. Don't bear false witness. And often we construe this ninth commandment in verse 16 as don't lie. And that would be probably an appropriate application, but that's not exactly what's going on here. Verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, which means don't speak untrue things about your neighbor. Now, who's your neighbor? Anyone that you come into contact with. So don't be found speaking untrue things about others. We're people of truth. We speak truth. We don't speak untrue things about others. I just want to put a little side note in here. As we get deeper into God's law, in the rest of Exodus, and then if you were to read the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, what you're going to see is the word of a witness is going to be a pivotal piece of the judicial system in all of Israel. And so the assumption of the whole thing is going to be that people give accurate witness. For example, it's going to say that capital offenses, capital um, crimes can only be punished in the testimony of two witnesses. Well, the whole thing assumes that the witnesses tell the truth. And so the Lord's saying, let there be truth-telling in our witness about others in all things. An honest witness among the people is going to be pivotal to the peace and the unity of the people. Tenth commandment, now we move from actions to words to heart dispositions. You shall not covet. Now, often we stop right there. Covet means to have a longing or a desire. Okay? So it is not possible to not covet. We all covet all the time. We all are driven by longings and desires. So the commandment doesn't say don't covet. It says don't covet the wrong thing. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's male servant. 
Don't covet your neighbor's female servant. Don't covet your neighbor's ox. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Now, who's your neighbor again? Anyone you come into contact with. So the Lord is saying, don't set your desire, don't set your affection on the things and the stuff that the Lord's given others, but be content in what the Lord's given you and set your heart there. It's as if the Lord knew that the beginning of murder is what I covet. And the beginning of adultery is what I covet. And the beginning of stealing is what I covet. And the beginning of bearing false witness is what I covet. So the reality here is for us to see that we are shaped by our desires. And our desires relating to others and to sexuality and possessions will radically shape who we are. And the Lord wants these aimed at and focused on him. So these six commandments help us better work out what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourself. And so I want to ask two questions here. Based on the first four commandments, what does the world see when they see us interact with God? And based on the last six commandments, what does the world see when they see us relate to our neighbors? Do they see value? Do they see honor? Do they see sacrifice? Do they see sacrificial service? Before we leave that behind, I, I want to read a quote um, from a scholar named Alec Motier. And he, he's, he's reflecting on the number of negative commands here. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet your neighbor's house. And listen to what he says, and listen very carefully, because we're Americans that don't like being told no, right? Kids are happy till you say and we're all kids. So Motier writes, don't forget that a negative command is far more liberating than a positive one. For a positive command restricts life to one course of action, meaning just do this one thing. Whereas a negative command leaves life open to every course of action except one. Once more, the law of liberty in the Garden of Eden, where God said, don't eat from that tree, is a perfect illustration. The single negative command, you must not eat of it, left open the broad prospect you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And so I think the idea is, let these don'ts be guardrails and guides to free us to love God to love others, to love the world, to serve God, to serve others, and to serve the world in a way that testifies to his saving power transforming us. The last point 
and very quickly, a holy people. This is in verses 18 through 21. You have this strange thing. Because what's been going on in verses 1 through 17 is something unique in the scripture. God is not speaking directly to Moses where then Moses can go and speak to the people. God himself is actually speaking directly to the people. And so in verse 17, they say, excuse me, verse 18, they're like, hold on. We're afraid. We can't handle this, this God speaking directly to us stuff. Moses, make it stop. We don't want to die. And then in verse 20, Moses says, Don't fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be for you, that you may not sin. So here's what's going on. God's, God, Moses says, Don't fear, God has come to test you. What's the test? He wants the people to have appropriate fear of him. Because our holiness always flows from an appropriate fear of of God. Our holiness always flows from an appropriate respect, honor, and deference for who God is. So four concluding words of application from the Ten Commandments. This is for all of you practical people that are like, dude, just tell me what to do. It's never that simple, but I'll try my best. Number one, first word, conviction. These 10 words, these 10 commandments are intended to cause us to stop and say, oh, I'm a sinful person. Oh, before God, I am failing. Oh, This is what God wants for me. The Bible calls that conviction. These words are intended to stir conviction in our hearts. If they haven't stirred conviction in your heart, I I would call you to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is going to take these words and go a whole lot deeper. But they're intended to stir conviction. Where do I need to stop and be confronted by the Lord? Second word of application, cross. What do we do with our conviction? We run to Jesus. If we are humbled and broken before the Lord, we are precisely in the place we need to be to be covered in his grace. We run to the cross. So if you're here today kind of exploring Christianity, wondering what it might look like for you to fit into the people of God or the church of God, the answer is not do the Ten Commandments. The answer is let the Ten Commandments show you your sin and then come running to Christ. Christ came, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again, that sinners would be forgiven Run to Jesus. And and if you'd like to talk about what it would look like to take a first step toward Jesus, I would love to talk to you after this service. I'll be hanging out right over here and we can do it safely. But Christians, 
Running to the cross is not a one-time thing. We run to the cross again and again and again and again. We see our sin. We run to the Savior. We find our forgiveness and our footing and our place in him. So the commandments are for conviction. The commandments are to drive us to the Savior. Third word, growth. The commandments are intended to show us how the Lord wants to change us. If, holy, if, if the presence of the holy God transforms, then what does that transformation look like? These commandments are intended to show us what the Lord desires from us. How does the Lord want to change you? How does the Lord want to change me? Look to the commandments Look to your conviction and ask the Spirit to help you. Fourth word, kingdom. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. It's here now, and it's going to grow from this point forward. What does God want his kingdom to look like? A people wholly devoted to him. So let's go live and move and serve others in these ways and point them to the Lord in these ways as a way to say, this is the better kingdom that Jesus is building. Let's exercise our citizenship in that kingdom by seeking to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. Our winsome witness of the saving power of God is often rooted in how we live out our relationship to others. Let's be people who are filled with love and mercy and grace because we've been loved and received mercy and received grace. So now our Father and our God, We pray that you would take these words and you would drive them into us in a way that we become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.